Would you stand with me, friends, as we go to the Lord, rather his word, and we read this morning Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. This is the Lord's word. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, and free man, but Christ is all and in all. This is the Lord's word. Would you please be seated, friends? And again, Father, we thank you for this time uh, where we sit and listen now to your word and pray that you would bless this servant, make me faithful and clear. We pray that your spirit will be present with us to give us ears to hear, both the young and the old. Bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, We continue this morning uh, with looking at the apostles' instructions with combating the flesh or fleshly indulgence. Remember what the false teachers were promoting, that if you really want to be good, if you really want to be holy or sanctified, if you really want to be a saved individual, these are the things you must do or must not do. And so it's almost like a motto that they brought up, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. This was the the message that these false teachers were bringing. Men and women who had made uh, persuasive arguments, according to verse 4 of chapter 2, who would take individuals captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. These individuals acted as judges in regard to food or drink or in respect to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which were a mere shadow of what was to come. They defrauded the Christian of his prize, saying things like, well, you mustn't really be a Christian after all. And they did so by delighting in self-abasement. They were proud of their humility. Look how spiritual I am. They gave themselves to the worship of angels, and they would go into great details about their visions. Have you ever been around somebody who was so spiritual this way? And you say, man, I'm just kind of ordinary but this is what these individuals did they were puffed up they were conceited Paul says that they were inflated without cause by their fleshly minds 
and they didn't hold on to Jesus Christ. My friends, there is no spiritual life apart from Jesus Christ. There is no growth, there is no maturity, there is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. These are the religions of the world. They, they promote harsh disciplines, ascetic practices, and they forbid and deny the things which God calls good. Paul writes about this. He spoke to Timothy about this in 1 Timothy 4. Listen to what Paul warned about. He says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits. I need to say that in Sunday school we started the American Gospel documentary this, uh, this morning. And we're going to see this very kind of thing that of what is taking place in the American church and what is falsely called a gospel. Listen again to what Paul says to Timothy. The Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron, men who forbid marriage, and advocate abstaining from foods which God created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with gratitude, for it is sanctified by means of the word of God and prayer. Yet these false teachers foist their false spirituality upon the church, and we were, or they were, expected to submit to it, as if their worldly, godless religion was something you must be bound to and you must do. These commandments and teachings of men, again, Paul says, had the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but it were of no value, that is, they deserve no credit, no honor, against fleshly indulgence. They had the appearance of religion, they have the appearance of piety, of holiness, but what they were promoting uh, would be of no benefit to you in your fight against the flesh. They're of no benefit for you in your fight against the flesh. Have you ever noticed uh, that these, these cults that promote a different Jesus and promote different things, have you ever noticed how much sexual immorality takes place in those cults? If they could, if we could just, you know, just do these things and you will subdue your fleshly desires. You ever notice that they promote these things and then they never deliver on it? Gee, I wonder why. Do you see this? This is, this is the kind of thing that Paul is addressing. You can understand why the church, if it, this is the message that they're being inundated with. Very interesting, again, as we watch this American gospel, I was greatly encouraged. Um, as I was just working through, this, working through this passage, and the sermon's already written, and then we put on American gospel this morning, and I'm going, oh, we handled this right, we approached this right. But this is the kind of thing. Why is it that the morality of the American church has tanked? Is it because, and I believe so, just as they mentioned in this documentary, it is because we have turned away from Christ and we have made holiness a thing that is obtainable by human hand. You'll never get there. You won't get there. 
Holiness, as noted last week, is a concern for the Apostle Paul. It is for the biblical writers. You shall be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. That is why Jesus Christ saved us, so that we would be holy, we would be set apart, and that we would not walk according to the flesh. And that should be every Christian's concern. But by their rules and regulations, by their traditions, by their gimmicks, um, you will not get there. You will not achieve holiness. What it will do, however, it will feed your pride and make you twice as much a son of hell. Their, their regulations, their traditions, their gimmicks will not sanctify you. They will not make you more holy. They will not make you a more sure candidate of heaven. Rather, your focus and attention will be caught up upon yourself. You will become arrogant and like them, become condescending and judgmental of those who aren't as spiritual as you. And this is what actually happens. What is the way to true, true holiness? What is the way to conquer our flesh and our fleshly desires? The apostle is concerned about holiness, but what these charlatans were teaching was not the way to holiness. The way to holiness, hear me again, the way to holiness is the way of Christ. Christ Jesus is the way to holiness. Jesus Christ is the way to salvation alone. Jesus Christ alone is the way to life and true happiness. Our Bible memory verse for January, right? John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's very narrow, isn't it? And yet that's the way to holiness. Again, the apostle takes his readers from the earthly, man-centered commands and teachings of men and lifts their eyes back to where they belong. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3 here, Keep seeking the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. We are to keep pursuing Christ, the risen, victorious, preeminent King. He is to remain our focus constantly. We are to be going back to him, reminding ourselves that we belong to him and recalling all that he has accomplished on our behalf. And it's in this vein of thought then that the apostle continues down this path. Do you see the difference of what the Apostle Paul is saying and what the world is saying? The world is saying, you can do this. You have the power. You don't understand how much greatness resides in you. Like we heard this morning, and the Apostle Paul is saying, you can't do it. You don't have it going on. You don't have that greatness, that power. But Jesus Christ, the preeminent Son of God, who sits at the right hand of the Father, he has all that we need, and in him it has been accomplished. Are you discouraged about your sin? Are you discouraged that I'm not licking this thing, and I'm really struggling, and I've tried everything. I've got a bookshelf full of self-help books, and they're still not helping me. You've come to the right place. <laughs> we come to look at Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul says in verse 2. He says, Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Set your mind on the things above, 
Now here he gives a slightly different slant. They are to set their minds on, that is to direct their minds to a thing, to seek one's interests, or as one commentator wrote, they are to ponder and yearn for those things above. They are to ponder and yearn for those things above. I didn't put this in my notes, but it it has been haunting me since I wrote this. Um, How little we think about the importance of the mind. I was reminded again by Tim uh, this morning talking about this. We hear ignorance is bliss, right? And he was reminding me there's a series that Ligonier has produced, again, with Dr. Godfrey called Ignorance is Not Bliss. And we could say with the Apostle Paul, this is absolutely the truth. As he says, set your mind, set your mind on things above. Why do people avoid church? Why do people avoid this church? Maybe it's because we're not so emotionally bent. I'm not anti-emotion. If anyone knows me, you know that I have a great deal of emotion my children take after me greatly. I have a lot of emotion that goes on. And I love to feel things. I love um, sweeping sonatas. I love, I don't even know if I said that right, Becca. But um, I love music that makes me, that moves me and I can cry at the drop of a hat in any commercial on any given day. I'm not anti-emotion. But notice what the apostle says, set your mind. Set your mind. We are a church and a denomination that is bent on truth and engaging the mind. My friends, if if your mind is engaged with truth, then there is no reason to be ashamed of the emotion that follows because it's guided and directed to the right things. But if we were to guide and direct the worship service in this church, if we were to gear things around how you feel, do you know what we would end up with? We'd end up with Baalism. That's what you'll end up with. Because last week was more exciting, and so we need to make this week more exciting than last week. And eventually we're all dancing and cutting and, 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 and losing our minds in order to be swept away by the emotion. Do you remember as a teenager going to a rock concert, especially if you've ever gone to a Christian rock concert? Man, the guitar solos, the drums, the lights, the fog. It was like a slice of heaven. This is wonderful. And you leave the rock concert, and the very next day, you're in a slump again. You need more of that emotional high. Notice Paul. He doesn't say, set your emotions on the things above. He says, set your mind, the brain. Ponder and yearn was what one commentator said. Ponder and yearn. It's not much different than what we pointed out last week. Only we are called to focus, to ponder and yearn for the things above. When I'm pondering, I'm thinking about. It's a daily and moment-by-moment thing. Do you remember whose you are? Ponder this for a second. Do you remember whose you are? You bear in your flesh his covenant sign of baptism. 
My friends, you belong to Jesus Christ. If you are in Christ, if you have believed upon Jesus Christ and looked to him in faith, you belong to him. Do you remember this in your struggle against the flesh? When I was first married, and and you go off and and you're going to work now and we're going our separate ways, and and you come back home and, and, and you say, oh, here's my wife or here's my husband back here. You have a wedding ring and, and, and a girl starts to flirt with you at the grocery store. And she's cute. Don't tell me it hasn't happened to you. And you look at that ring and you go, ah, oh, yes, I remember I belong to somebody. And this is inappropriate behavior. You don't go there because you belong to somebody and she belongs to you. Do you remember this, who you belong to? Do you look at the sign and say, oh yes, I said I'm a Christian. I belong to somebody. These are the things, the kinds of things we ponder. These are the kinds of things we think upon. You are thinking upon who he is, the risen Savior at the right hand of the Father, who suffered and was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without sin. Do you ever ponder this, that my sin caused his save, my Savior to die on Calvary's cross? Do you ever stop to think what sin cost our Lord before you enter into that sin? Do you understand that he came to destroy the works of the devil and to set his people free from their sins so, as, so that they might never go back to it? Do you ever stop to ponder that we must never take lightly the sacrifice he made on our behalf? Do you stop to ponder that he is coming again for us so that we don't want to treat our salvation as though it is something, something that is flippant or something unimportant? Do you ever stop to ponder these type of things? You belong to the Lord. And we yearn. We deeply desire to be set free. We deeply desire to walk and to live righteously and to be delivered, as Paul would say in Romans 7, from the body of this death. Do you yearn for this thing? Well, pastor, how, do you, how can you yearn for something? And it's true, friends. How can you make yourself yearn for something? The more we ponder the truth of Scripture... And what has been revealed to us, the greater our yearning will be. The greater we ponder the things of the scriptures and the things that are revealed to us there, the greater our yearning will become. You feed it. You feed the yearning. I'm constantly riding the congregation. And some of you are great with this. And others are still learning. Why do I insist and push Come to church. You, why do you think that is? You know, we don't keep Sunday school attendance. You know, we don't keep attendance records. I look to see who's missing and who's not here. Why would I do that? It's because the greater, the more we sit under the word of God, the more that we are exposed to it. The idea is, is that you are fed. You can think on these things. It's in your brain. And you begin to yearn for it more. 
my hope, my aspiration is that exposing you more and more to the things, the means of grace, are the things that whet our appetites for what are good and holy and just. That as you sit under this, it creates such a desire in you that you say, I'm going to church today. And I'll fit everything else in around church rather than trying to squeeze church in around my other more important things. Friends, that's backwards. It is backwards. This is why I'm always pushing these things that you come and partake of these things. It's not to stroke my ego. It's not to to send in records to the denomination. It's for the sake of creating in you an appetite for things that are true and right and good and to wet them more and more. And this is what it means to set your mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Because the more we know him, the more we will desire him. And let me say this, because there is no one more great, no one more beautiful, you are designed to have a relationship with the Lord. If you would but see him in the pages of scripture, you will be swept away by his loveliness or you will hate him with all of your heart. But you will not remain indifferent. There is no one more beautiful or lovely than the Lord. And so we ponder these things and pondering that we yearn for it and we set our minds on that thing. I know that um, I'm yearning for this new building and I can't stop thinking about it. I wake up in the morning and I think boxes, (laughs) books, bookshelves. And I'm thinking about this, and I'm actually yearning to working with one another. When we yearn for something, we love it. We love it. And we pursue it. And this is what the apostle here is instructing them to do. But he warns us, and he warns them, set your minds on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Sadly, many Christians have demonstrated that they were not the Lord's after all, They don't mature, they don't grow, but fall away and show themselves to rather be enemies of the cross. Listen to what Paul would say in Philippians. He says, Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I often told you and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things they live for this world they live for the sensual they live for the here and now they live for the romantic you ever wonder why so many marriages fall apart because they forget that they're in a covenant and they've watched one too many Hallmark movies (laughs) just a little bit teasing seriously It creates in them, oh, I wish my husband looked at me that way. I wish my wife looked at me that way. And so I'm caught up in the sensual, the romantic, and I lose sight of everything else around, and I'm getting ready to make a trip to Stupidville. Because we're not thinking with our brains what is proper, and it happens in the church. Demas 
having loved this world, deserted me and went to Thessalonica. Demas, a man whose name, he was known on a first name basis, who rubbed shoulders with the apostle, loved this world and deserted me. The cover of your bulletins this morning. Achan, who decided that gold and silver, which were under the ban, were, were more to be desired than obedience and, and, and faithfulness to the Lord. And what became of him? Lot's wife, who they were told, don't look back. And she looks back. Was it just out of curiosity? No. Lot's wife turns around because my home, all that I love and all that I cherish is there. And then she's turned into a pillar of salt. They love this world. And sadly, many Christians do love this world. They live for the flesh. They live for the pride of life. And it leads them away from the Lord and causes them to stop seeing the value and beauty of all that Christ is and all that Christ has done for us. My friends, our aim must be to stay focused on those things above where Christ is, the heavenly, and not to continue to look at the earthly. But why? Why set our minds on the things above? Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. You have died. We've covered this several times. In chapter 2, verse 10, he says, In him you have been made complete. In verses 11 and 12, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. In verse 20, if you have died with Christ, verse 1 of chapter 3, if you have been made, if you've been raised up with Christ, and now in chapter 3, verse 3, for you have died. My friends, you have been set free. You are a new creature in Christ. And your status has changed. Why should you think about things above? Because you are no longer a creature of the earth. You have a new status. And I fear sometimes, I fear that we don't think rightly about our relationship with Christ. We think of Jesus Christ as a devotional figure. He's an inspirational kind of individual, a moral example to us. You realize, don't you, that he has changed your status? Do you understand that, Christian? Do you understand that you are not the same as you once were? This should influence how we think of ourselves. I want you to imagine for a second a child who is homeless, who is destitute, without warmth or affection, and he has nobody to look after him. And one day, this kindly man and woman find this child. They see him, he's dirty, he's a wreck, his clothes are torn, he's ill-mannered, and he's frightened. And they take him in, they wash him, they feed him, they demonstrate a pure and, and, and sacrificial love. They go to the extent of giving this child, whom they don't even know, and they give him their last name. They adopt him. They give him a place at their table because they are both willing and able to do so. 
and this child having clothes and a bed and dinner table and plenty of food have the love and affection of these parents it gets he gets hungry and he runs outside and begins to rummage through a garbage can and when he goes to sleep he goes and finds a, a stoop somewhere where he can curl up or find some boxes that he can climb into and keep himself warm is that a child who understands that his status has changed? But in reality, his status has changed. He's no longer an orphan. He's a child. Everything has changed. And this, this idea needs to change. I believe sometimes we look at Jesus as just that, that buddy. No offense, buddy. That friend who, who's just, he's there if I need him in a pinch. He's there to help me over the rough spots. He, he's there when I'm feeling sad and I have nobody else to talk to. He's there when I'm bored and I don't have anything else better to do. Then, then I'll run to Jesus, my friend. But my friends, you are no longer orphans. In Christ. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 4. He also says something very similar in Romans 8. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Listen to what Paul says. You have died. You have died. In Christ, you have died. Romans 6, 3, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? It's not just you and Jesus side by side, friends in a canoe. Understand what Jesus Christ came and did for you. Put this mindset behind you that somehow Jesus didn't change things when you looked upon him in faith. He came to save the sinner. You believed the gospel message. You received its truth by faith. And you were declared righteous. You were justified. You were adopted into the family of God. Your status has changed, and you stand now in a new relationship with God. At one point, you were an enemy of the Lord's, and you were under his condemning wrath. But now you are called a child. Now you are called a true friend, a son, and an heir. This is what Christ has done for us. He says, again, listen, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This new status has resulted in a wonderful blessing for us as believers. Why is this important? Have you ever been tempted to waver between two opinions? On the days where you feel as though you've been the victorious Christian, you're going, of course God loves me. <laughs> What's not the love? I'm doing this thing. Today, I'm doing swimmingly. And on the days where you've messed up large, you go, oh, there's no way that God could love me today. Pride, despair, 
you see what happens? We base our salvation on what we're doing and not on what Christ has done. And so we have that feeling that God loves me more when I do good and he doesn't love me when I fail. The apostle here is encouraging them to take heart. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. How are we supposed to understand this? I believe it should be considered as our lives are laid up with God in heaven. And as one commentator said, the believer's life is safely hidden away with Christ. You focus upon your failures or your successes, you need to stop that. You need to start looking at the fact of what Christ has done. In him you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. It's as though he has kept us hidden in order to keep us safe and to hold on to us firmly. And then you listen here to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Our, our lives, friends, are hidden with Christ in God and again, one commentator states it this way, we have a double rampart, and it is all divine. Do you understand what the Apostle Paul is saying to these people whose salvation has come under attack and who are being told, you must do, you must perform, you must stay away from these things? He says, no, no, look to Jesus Christ. Your status has changed. He's bought you and he holds you so close. No one will ever pry you out of our God's hand. That's our assurance. That's our hope and that's our glory. So that no one can steal it away from us. That's assurance. That's a wonderful assurance we're given. And we are kept safe as the Lord's. So understand what has happened to you. And finally, my friends, understand what will happen to you, to me, and to all of the Lord's people? You will be revealed with Christ in glory. He says in verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. My friends, this speaks to our sure victory. Our sure victory in Jesus Christ. Here were these false teachers, godless judges, crying foul, and defrauding them of their prize. We don't know if you can truly be saved. You're not doing it the way we think you ought to be doing it. Notice that Christ will be revealed. He is coming again. That Christ who sits really, truly, and physically at the right hand of the Father out of the sight of men now is really and truly going to return to earth in the clouds in glory. This is a fact. He is coming again, not metaphorically coming again, but really and truly. As surely as he showed up on that morning in the manger, he is going to come again. And the angels, too, will come with him. But this time, they won't be saying, and they won't be sheathing their swords. He will come for judgment Listen to what the angels said in Acts chapter 1. 
Luke writes, And after he, that is Jesus, had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. My friends, Christ will be revealed again. And yet Paul makes this beautiful statement, who is our life? When Christ, who is our life, is revealed. Understand, my friends, we have been united to Christ by faith, as we have stated many times. Not only is our life hidden with Christ in God, but Christ himself is our life. Matthew Henry had this beautiful thing to say. He said, Christ is a believer's life. Quoting Galatians 2.20, he says, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He is the principle and end of the Christian's life. He lives in us by his spirit, and we live to him in all that we do. For to me, to live is Christ. Philippians 1.21 Because of this, when Christ, who is our life, is revealed at his second coming, then you also, says Paul, will be, be revealed with him in glory. Turn with me to these uh, two passages in 1 John chapter 2 and 3. Listen to what John writes. And there's a number of passages. For the sake of time, I only included these two. In 1 John 2, 28 and 29, he says, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, that is the second coming, when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame, at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. And then in 1 John 3, 2 and 3, he says this, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. You see, what the world and the traditions and the teachings and the commandments of men cannot do against fleshly indulgence, which cannot lead us to holiness and happiness, Christ does. He does it for us. We are, by his grace, through faith in him, um, he accomplishes these things. And we must stay fixed upon Jesus, where he is above and not on the things on earth. And in him, we are guaranteed of this victory so that no one should be defrauding us of our prize. No one should be causing us to trust or to put our confidence in the works of our hands, but our confidence rests squarely, squarely upon Jesus Christ alone. And the man and the woman who put their faith in Christ alone will never be disappointed. And the struggles that you struggle through now will one day be put the rest, and you will be exalted with the Lord when he comes again in glory. Let's pray. We thank you, O Father, for this day and again for your word, and pray that your grace be upon this word that is preached. And we pray, Lord, that you would set us free more and more, that we would behold you who is beautiful and altogether lovely, 
and that we would give our hearts, our souls, our bodies, all our strength to you, knowing that you have done it and you are uh, have accomplished what concerns us. Keep us, Lord, we pray, from false teachers and false doctrines and doctrines of demons. Help us, O oh Lord, not to place our confidence in the works of our hands, but to rest in Christ and to look to him as our motive and as our uh, empowering to obey. Thank you, O oh Lord. I do pray these things now in Jesus' name. Amen.